1: Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast here with Benji as always for the first ever recap of the Paru Bay Fem race on this Saturday. This show is supported by our show partner, Lacole. Speaking of women's cycling and Lacole, Joss Loudon of Drops Lacole, you saw it at the World Champs, broke the women's hour record officially on Thursday. That live streams on Lacole's YouTube channel wearing the McLaren Project Aero skin suit in that record proving how quick that bit of kit is. You can check out Lacole through the link in the description at www.lecole.cc. Thanks to them for supporting the podcast, Liz, uh, Joss Loudon and Drops Lacole, who we saw actually at the front of this race pretty prominently. But the parkour, 117 kilometres long, the first cobbled sector after Horanang with about 34 k's done and 80 k's to go. And, yeah, we had a pretty strong start list here as well. We were missing a couple of cyclocrosses, though, Vas and Brand, who I believe were trying to – they need super prestige points or something that I don't understand that (laughs) sport. But, Benji, live coverage, unfortunately, only started with about 50Ks to go. We'll talk about some of the background, the business behind the race, et cetera, the coverage. At the end, we'll talk the racing tactics first, 50Ks to go, we see Diagnan clear. We'd seen it and heard it on Twitter first. What did you see from both the race situation and the state of the course?
0: Yes, at that point, we were on uh, Molzon Pavel, basically, which is the first five-star sector that the women have to ride over of the two. Carrefour de is the la- latest one that is in the uh, last 17 kilometers. But yeah, 50K to go, Molzon Pavel, Diagnan is at the front solo. And uh, yeah, the parkour is uh, somewhat wet at that point. But I feel like Mozan Pavel wasn't the uh, extremist of sectors looking at the mud and so forth on the parkour. But we had some sections on that cobble sector that did cause some uh, some crashes and uh, some odd crashes as well. But yeah, she had a lead and it was a pretty large lead, one minute 55 plus almost at that moment. And um, quite clever that she decided to ride away on the first Cobble sector is one of the scenarios that we mentioned on the preview that somebody would like to do this. And it's logical when you think about it, because if you're a rider that is Diagon, you've got a leader, perhaps co leader, Alan Van Dijk, Longo Borghini, those two riders in this race. So you have one rider that could go very early. And if you decide to go on the fast Cobble sector and you put that rider ahead and remove them from a potential group crash, because group crashes were bound to happen in this race. So if you were able to put at least one rider up front and make that move that early, then you have a benefit over other people. And yeah, we saw very swiftly also before the broadcast started that crashes were happening in the group behind, and that causes a chase to have trouble trying to close down a gap. And the more and more people crash, the less and less people have to try and catch uh, the rider up front, Lizzie Deignan. And uh, a pretty ballsy move, to be honest, but I think it's because the team had multiple candidates for this race that they dare to go for a strategy like this. Do you think that others missed out by not following?
1: For sure. That's what I thought. I was like, I thought there was going to be a group, Benji, of Majerus or Peters, plus an Anna Henderson, plus Aaliyah Thomas, plus someone from FTJ. I thought there was going to be that sort of group. Not a solo rider now. I think there might have been a group, a smaller group that Diagnan attacked out of. But yeah, on her team we've got European champ Van Dijk, who was incredibly strong there. on Rigaud, French rider, experienced as well. Elisa Longobardi, one of the most versatile and probably was consistently their strongest rider throughout the season. Yep. I Diagnan, not the not the favourite on that team at all. Uh, and particularly, she's won Tour of Flanders in 2016, but her form this year has not been top level. She has not been the level of Ludwig, Nivea, Voss, volering Vanderbregen, Van der Breggen, Van Vleuten. She's not been that level uh, this year. She's been getting a bit better in some other races. But yeah, clearly put her out in the front. Great tactical move. Uh, who was already out of contention, Benji? We saw Kopecky puncture, Van Vleuten before coverage even started. Crash, dropped, or had a mechanical? Do you know the confirmed
0: report? So first of all, we have a, a report of Sporza that said halfway the race that Reuser actually already crashed even before the first cobble sector, apparently, and right. uh, had to abandon the race, which is really unfortunate. Um, next to that, we had that crash by Kopecky, but that was a weird one because she was on the left side of the of the cobble sector. I think it was on Pavel actually and she had a back wheel puncture she looked at the right and there seemed to be a rider from her team on the right side of the road and i think she wanted to change bikes or something or she lost control i can't really tell from the very far away camera view that we had and therefore she just went across the road and she crashed so crashed somebody else as a consequence and i don't know if it was because she wanted to go there to change the bike with that other Uh, teammate or because she lost control going to the right of the road but she wasn't able to stop by the side of the road and she basically went into the ditch at that same exact moment so there has to be some loss of control there i'm guessing but uh yeah that shows how swiftly something can change if you're riding in a group because you can just be riding there and then there's a rider on the left side of the road who has a puncture and as a consequence you're crashing so your race can be over so swiftly and the likes of that stuff happened to Jolindor as well in this race. I know because Sports I kept talking about where is Jolindor for the entirety of this broadcast. So I basically heard nothing but that commentary today. <laughs> and um, I think next to that, just plenty of stuff. I think Van Vleuten was one of the ones to drop on the first cobble section early on. But it could have been through a puncture. I don't know. Then we had a crash, including Ellen van Dijk, also on uh, Pavel. She wasn't on the floor, if I recall correctly, but she was pretty far behind in the group and had to start coming back. And if molls en is where the group behind also starts opening up, because that's what was happening. Christine Majerus was one of the stronger riders in this race, in my eyes, when it comes to uh, the ease at which she went over cobbles during the race itself, molls Pavel and so forth. She was the one who was uh, actually making a move at the front of the group and was, I think, a four-women group, including Mariana Voz already, and 200 candidates that i uh don't know by heart at the top of my head i think it was Longo borghini and another one and um yeah that group had a tiny bit of a gap on the others from that peloton or what was left of the peloton because we have 30 people going into uh pavel as the peloton and uh i think that van Dijk was quite a bit behind that because there were the likes of like multiple domestiques from jumbo still in between those groups between van Dyck and the group of Majors. we also had uh uh another teammate from trek cordonago was also uh relatively close towards the front of that group and uh yeah mozan pavel basically exploded the race in uh in the peloton and it's it's sad that we didn't get the coverage 5 minutes earlier because if we had it 5 minutes earlier then we would have seen mozan pavel in full <laughs> and that would have been much better
1: <laughs> yeah uh, i know yeah it's and there it was a tailwind today, so it was not even the 60k as we'd expected. But yeah, the groups or groups very all across the road after that cobbled section. Eventually, they came together, and I thought we might have a, a full on chase of Lizzie Diagnan who had about a two minute advantage. A large group did form a G two with teams with multiple teammates. Yama Visma had Voss. Bakus, Marcus, Kasper, SD works had Vandenbroek block, Majerus, Peters, Movistar, Norsgaard, Bjanic, Thomas, Trek had three riders to block. And then we had Roy, Bastionelli, Martins, and Brenauer. I would add to Benji's shout-out to Majerus that I thought Brenauer was – she was pulling a lot of the cobble, cobbled sections. I think uh, Monson Pavel as well. Brenauer did look good oh. on the cobbles, which I expected, but uh, and she'd get a decent result here too. She just didn't have any teammates to do the work for her. And I'm just surprised now here, Benji, with 34Ks to go, that, yeah, SD works with three Movistar 3 and Yumbo Visma 3 domestiques. They couldn't make any impression on Lizzie Diagnan. I just, yeah, I just guess the cobbles kept splitting it apart and there was still, you know, with that 9, 12Ks of cobbles in that 30, 34Ks left to the finish. And it just seemed that drafting was almost drafting was almost the worst thing you wanted you just meant you were going to crash more and were more <laughs> likely to crash and yeah. being at the front of the group was the safest so that group eventually split apart when did we start to see riders just making solo moves
0: well just beforehand i do want to talk a bit more about the dynamics in that chasing group because like you said Yumbo was there Movistar and for Volf, but it felt like um the riders that were supposed to do the work to make that chase happen, We're also just the riders that just came back after Mozart Pavel. So they're clearly not in a great shape when they just dropped on mozan Pavel compared to the riders they were, uh, well, getting back to. And that was pretty clear because it was, for example, I think Tony who was one of the riders well, for Jumbo that was uh dropped and then came back and directly went to the front of the group to start hammering it. But if one ride is doing it, then it's not gonna be working. So, Yumbo put a few more riders up there and started chasing, but Movistar wasn't directly helping out that swiftly. It wasn't until one of the coming cobble sections where we did see a proper move by Movistar to try and get, get back to the front. And that's where trouble started arising because, well, they were chasing quite well, but you know that when, like you said, you're riding a draft, it's likely if one goes down that multiple riders go down and there was an extra crash that followed as a consequence where I think Van Dijk ended up going down I think Nordsgard was also one of the riders going down and um, I, I don't know 100% every single ride that went down today because it was basically 90% of the peloton but I, um, we just had that crash and from that point onwards you know that the riders that are left are the ones that are going to have to do the solo chasing and it's near Carrefour del Arbor already, that we have to start seeing uh, solo moves. It was at the sector just before Carrefour del Arbor, if I recall correctly, that um, we saw proper uh, selection in that chasing group. And, well, if, for example, the Jumbo Riders are now dropping again, the Movistar Riders have Norsgaard who crashed, and we've got Von Degg dropping, won't have an influence on the chase really, because it's her teammate at the front. But all that plays into the cards of because you've got less people that can chase down and those less people can't wait on those other people again they have to start going solo and that's where uh we saw mariana voss taking a cobble section on like crazy right
1: yeah voss is crazy like i thought she wouldn't be the best on the cobbles i mean i thought she'd be like top five maybe but i like brenna yeah she had that look in her eyes that I thought this is the only way she can chase anyone down. And it, what Benji said about the domestiques, they're almost like an illusion. It reminds me of, you know, when Matthews had Mesgetz, you know, there to close the gap for him in the Vuelta in that final sprint. But uh, when they caught Vine and then there was another stage, but it's, it's an illusion. The guy's cooked from having to work. If you rely on them, the gap's just going to keep going out. And Diagnon, it also relies on Diagnon being incredibly strong as well. But to be honest, Benji, it came down to a minute twenty, a minute fifteen. I never, it was never in doubt for Diagon. unless she crashed. There was an awesome clip where she no. fishtailed. Um, she got her bike started to go the no. left wheel started to go left a little bit. She overcorrected with well, I'm not really overcorrect. She let the bike do what it needed to do, as Magnus Backstead would say, and like completely fishtailed, kept it upright, and yeah, the only way she was losing is if she had a bad mechanical or crashed. Neither of which. Happened. We also saw Elisa longo Borghini chasing Mariana Vos from the group behind, which I think had Bernal and Bastianelli split apart completely. Balsamo and co. They're still finishing, credit to them. Everyone's still continuing the course. But yeah, Lizzie Duggan and Benji. Did you see, like, do, do you think she actually was superior in terms of technical ability on the cobbles? Um, because she seemed to, everyone's slipping around constantly. But she seemed to just be comfortable with that environment of allowing the bike to move around and not you know, grabbing brake or trying to force the bike where it didn't need to go.
0: Yeah, firstly, you've got the advantage that you're riding solo. So you can choose every single line yourself on the cobble section. It's not like you have to try and evade other people that are in front of you. It's not like other people can crash you when you're riding solo. So that's one advantage. But next to that, she also was just one of the best riders on the course today. Otherwise, you don't do that. Otherwise, you don't... Uh... Otherwise, you weren't unable to keep that gap so long compared to Yumbo riders chasing. Then again, those Jumbo riders had dropped on a couple section already, but still, Tegnan has also been on the attack for quite a bit before that happened. So it's not like she was uh, having the easiest time before uh, Mozan Pavel even started. And as a consequence, all these details coming together her technique being relatively good today, quite quite clearly, with uh, the save she made on that thing you just mentioned, the almost crash she had. The uh, fact that she was certainly good on cobbles. I think last week on on Flanders, uh, we mentioned that on the... Uh, was it Beekstraat, where she was one of the uh, stronger riders in the peloton in the uh, Flandrian circuit? And uh, perhaps we should have seen that as an indicator that the cobble sections are perhaps what... She is very good at, and the fact that she's unable to follow on again to and so forth at certain points was because of the hills, most likely. And perhaps she's been between a Paris Yeah, but not, not this year. Not recently. True.
1: Do you think, I'm trying to think of comparable races, but then at World Championships. I would have thought, I guess they, they did a slow race and she then favoured like the sprinters like Voss and Balsama. I don't, yeah, it's it's interesting to see how Dagon's career has gone, I guess, to go from, uh, you know, I think a third tier classic strider to then an 80 co solo today is is a big, big change and improvement in performance, but she obviously... Uh, Was strong back in, you know, she'd been winning 2016, 17, 18, and I think, of course, in 2019. But she wins this race clear, going solo into the velodrome. She had time to celebrate, but she didn't really. She rode it hard to the line, winning a minute and 17 ahead of Mariana Voss, second again, just like at Worlds. A shame for Voss, third, Longobordaghini, a minute 47, a trek duo on the podium. Brennauer, four seconds behind, uh, Longbourgini in fourth, my pick for the race. Bastianelli fifth, Norse- winning the sprint against Norsgaard, Francisco Koch and Cordon Rigaud, Cavalli, Londonbrook Black rounding out the top 10. Shout out to uh, Marjolin Landkluf on Drops Le the Coal and Maria Martens, both in the top 20, uh, for the It's a really good result for those riders and we mentioned, I think Benji mentioned that in the previous one to watch. But yeah, an impressive performance from Diagon and Benji. Any other performances you'd like to point out as someone you think overperformed,
0: underperformed? I feel like the weather underperformed compared to the uh, expectations of it but I'm kind of glad that it did knowing how many people crashed today as well without the weather being as extreme as uh, people had uh, been saying. There was no like very active rain on the course while the riders were riding which is a good thing um nonetheless there were rough patches in there and that was that section where diamond had to correct herself to uh prevent crashing but all in all i feel like um we saw today that this race is still also decided by the luck factor I'm not saying that Diagon is super lucky today for winning this race. 100% not. What a wonderful performance, but the chase, yeah, half of the people crashing in the chase, that obviously doesn't help a chase group, you know, and that's a factor in Roubaix, and it's proven once again, and that's uh, on one end kind of the beauty of Roubaix, but I uh, I, I don't like crashes, so that's uh, the unfortunate aspect of that, so I don't hope for uh, injuries on any of the riders. I hope that they come out. It is without too many injuries because uh, I fear that we will have quite a few after the crashes we saw today.
1: Yeah, that's the thing. It everyone loves Roubaix, but then I was looking at it today, and I was like, if someone tried to start this race today, as in like the cold concept of Paris Roubaix, it would be like outlawed as not a safe race because <laughs> yeah. it's not. It's not safe. Like yeah, people, people literally can't ride this course. Even a guy broke his big broke his pelvis during the recon yesterday. Yeah. Like. It's literally not safe, but as we know, extreme weather protocol and safety only applies to stage races in Italy. Um, <laughs> but anyway, let's talk about uh, we, we were going to have the women's tour coming up. Let's talk about the live coverage for this race. Menu. There's been, I would admit, now, obviously, I have a business relationship with ASO in terms of you know the license agreement for my main channel. That being said, this is my opinion that they have received. Uh, an inordinate amount of unfair criticism regarding putting on the first ever edition of this race. This is the first ever edition of this race, despite the men's, you know, the men's race is a separate race. They have no data on viewership. They have no, you know, who knows how much money they're bringing in for sponsorship, etc. for this race. Obviously for Tour de France Femme to get off the ground, they have to have it co-titled by Zwift next year. There's no Paris-Roubaix Femme by Zwift or whoever. So, they haven't been able to get the money in that way, one would assume. They were projected to have 60 kilometers of coverage, which is more than most women's world tour races. We indeed saw the women's world tour not able to have any live coverage this year, which world women's world tour races are required to have. And people were quite kind to them and understanding about the commercial realities of that during the week. Now, we then have an, a lot of focus on the, the prize money issue with Paribay Bay and My question when people bring this up, NG, often people working for quite large companies in the media space is the cycling business model is organiser puts on race, organiser makes money from sponsors and broadcasters, and if there's not equal prize money, if there's not full coverage, that's because sponsors and or broadcasters have not stepped up, those companies put their hand up and said, we want to invest in that or conversely, we see ROI in that and we'll put our money there and invest in it. I am sure if a company had come to ASO in advance of Bay Femme and said, we'll top up the women's prize pool to 100. Did anyone do that? I would be surprised if ASO said, no, we're going to keep it low actually. Thanks for your offer to sponsor the prize pool, we'll keep it low. Did any company (laughs) go to ASO and say, I will pay for full coverage if France TV or any other broadcaster to go and say I'll pay for full exclusive coverage before the first the last 60k's. And did ASO say no? I would say that's pretty surprising if they did. Uh, so I'm not sure why ASO is expected, and there is you know it's reasonable to make an expectation they make the investment in this race and build up its profile at a loss, and other parties involved in cycling are like yeah we'll take the broadcast for cheap uh, probably we'll put it on, etc. But yeah, we'll also, you know, they're not going to invest, not expected to invest the money. I just don't know why it seems to be a failure to understand the business model, Benji. But what's the bigger problem for you? You've been talking about on Twitter. To me, the coverage is the bigger issue than the prize money right now.
0: I agree. Now, to give you an accurate number before we go into the discussion of this, I do want to say that the uh, prize money difference is quite significant. So for the women, we have a total prize spot of 7,005 euros. For the men, we have 91,000. Before I get into my idea of it all, I've got a mixed opinion on this. First of all, I feel like, yes, this imbalance is uh, too large and it should be very much smaller. Secondly, I believe that there are people that are seeing investing in prize money as a quick win. and I don't see it as a good quick win in that aspect because you got to look at this and say, coverage is an investment, prize money is an investment. What do you do when you invest in the prize money of this race yesterday? What if you invest in it, for, in it, for example? Well, then you have more prize money today. Okay, that's it. There's no like follow up for next year. Sure, you have a a better standard or like uh, a set bar for next year that you're gonna try and get better than. Uh, this year when it comes to prize money but the other side of the coin is I'd rather have these companies or these other organizers invest in the coverage because coverage has a lasting effect. Investing in coverage causes interest to happen from sponsors and viewers, which has an influence on the future investments in the sport, which has an influence on the salary of these riders on the road. For all riders. For all riders, like you say. Next to that, this also adds to the future prize money consistently. Because if you're able to build this up, like gradually by investing in coverage, you will automatically have a return when it comes to prize money in the future. That's how I see the economy of the sport and of women's cycling myself. Investing less in coverage and deciding to spend that money into uh, direct prize money, well, you first of all will have many less people uh watching, you will have less sponsorship interests, you will have less future consequences of this broadcast happening. And the writers agree with that. We have on and who is completely on board with the idea that prize money is not as important as uh as coverage. But I do want to remem- remind that I do think that the difference between the two is significant. And I don't have a valid answer personally to the question, well, why don't they just split the men's? money in half and up it a bit for the women because for the men it's it's for the staff yes just like in the women's peloton mainly that teams give their prize money to staff members in the team and so forth for their uh, uh work for the team and stuff like that yeah and i feel like we will only have uh that happening when a men's rider steps up and says okay well this is kind of well okay. no
1: what about there's, a, there's this regulatory body called the uci UCI-mandated yeah. minimums, they conveniently have extremely low for their world championships. Uh, and so, yeah, ASO have made them in compliance to UCI-mandated minimums. This would not be acceptable in 2025 when hopefully we have four years of data on paribay FM when we have broadcasters hopefully paying more money for the broadcast rights, sponsors paying more. Then 2024, 2025, this is a process It will not be acceptable to not have parity of prize money then, but we are not there yet. This is the first edition of the race, and I feel for this is the same thing that happened to Vanden Spiegel, CEO of Flanders Classics, before Omloop, one of the best race organisers for trying to build up women's cycling. And as we said in the preview, putting the brand of these famous races onto the women's cycling, the same names, so that there's name recognition, helps a lot. He was criticised for, and he said, "Listen." We've put over, we put six figures into live broadcasts for these new races. That was the toss up we had to do. And we chose six figures into live broadcasts. And yeah, I think ASO probably needs to, yeah, maybe bring out some messaging if they want to themselves. But yeah, it's uh, hopefully next year, Benji, we well, have more. I'd, I'd like to see more yeah. coverage next year because I, I was, i got to say, disappointed with the rate. Like watching the winning move already happen before live coverage starts, that sucks. And I think. Yeah, I just it really lessens like what my analysis video on my main channel like what's there for me to analyze now, you know?
0: Yeah, uh, I do want to uh, add on to the discussion here. One thing that also happened this week, and that's the uh, the fact that the Women's Tour will not have be having a live broadcast after announcing in uh was it February or March that they uh had a deal with GCN to have it live broadcasted uh, on uh, on GCN Plus and so forth, and that is not happening in the Women's Tour, and I feel like. Ars Roubaix, Omlop, Giro Rosa last year had so much more criticism than this organizer has. And I'm not saying that they should be scrutinized for not being able to pay for uh, live broadcasting, but there should be an influence to that. If you, for example, last year, you look at Giro Rosa, they don't have live broadcasts. Well, they are being sent to the uh, women's, well, outside of the women's world tour category. So they're being demoted when it comes to their race classification, Giro Rosa. And with this race, we haven't heard any of that because we know that the UCI makes decisions based on pressure outside of, uh, well, factual data. So media pressure, public pressure, and so forth. And without that pressure of people talking up against races that don't have a live broadcast and so forth, well, you won't have that same influence. You won't have, for example, that they demote the women's tour now to a non women's world Tour race and personally i'm of the opinion that just dropping them outside of women's world tour isn't the solution either so it's not like i want these organizers to be criticized because it's not easy to organize a the broadcast of a race like this you first of all it's it's quite expensive you can broadcast it two ways you, need, you either need a plane or with 4g if you're in a region that does not have 4g you have to get a plane or multiple planes to get a broadcast set up and I'm no genius when it comes to like how the technicalities and so forth happen. But I know that planes are expensive to rent and uh, I've never tried it because I can't afford it. Uh, next to that, like where does an organizer get the money for that? It's sponsorships and selling the license of the broadcast to uh to uh, channels that are broadcasting it, like you mentioned. So once again, a broadcaster not willing to pay is likely the consequence are not willing to pay as much as needed to broadcast the race is likely a consequence of the women's tour not being able to provide a live broadcast in my eyes. But they are providing high highlights, which is probably because they're saving the camera footage on the motorbike to then edit it after the race, I'm expecting, or yes. something like yeah, that. they're saving it locally. So yeah, it's it's definitely not easy to set up live broadcasts and so forth. but then this race is getting less... Like bashing because it's generally bashing that Paris Roubaix has gotten over the last few days based on that prize money uh, issue. While this is a bigger issue for the future of women's cycling, and yeah, I, I just see the it's kind of hypocrisy at this point.
1: Well, I mean, if you're the existence of Roubaix and Tour de France fan, not to do on it too much, is that increases the money that sponsors one would think would be willing to pay the teams involved in those races if you're a women's world tour team and you're you're what you know pick a team trek segafre you want to go to a prospective sponsor and say we have on our calendar this number of races broadcasted internationally and they now have paru bay and tour de france femme that should theoretically the economics of cycling broken as they are for men or women that should theoretically increase the sponsorship dollars for those teams, for all the teams involved in those races uh, rather than – so, yeah. Anyway, paris bay Femme, exciting to see all the women finishing. See, seemed very emotional, diagnosed surprised at the finish. Uh, we saw Movistar riders battered and bruised at the finish, crying as well. Crashes galore. but keen to hear some of the uh, interviews afterwards on how riders – Felt and how it went for them. It's a pretty sketchy parkour right now, and it might get worse for the men's race. But yeah, any last thoughts on this, Benji? And yeah, do you, who do you think uh who do you think will win next year? Put you on the spot.
0: How the hell would I know that now, uh, Blanca Vash? You can't take my pick. You can't take my <laughs> pick. That's not how this works. Yeah, I knew it. So uh... Vash is winning next or year. Or listen Brandt. Or Voss. Yeah. Like, it's not like we are the all-knowing uh, people that already know the winner of next year. Uh, otherwise, we'd have uh, more correct uh, predictions. But
1: <laughs> We have correct predictions all the time, every time. Um,
0: yeah, we hope you enjoyed the wrong.
1: recap. Sorry that we went on the business of uh, cycling discussion a little bit at the end, but I feel like this is a better forum to do it. I don't really like doing it on Twitter, to be honest, with the character limitation I like. Uh, addressing it in full. But let us know what you think down below. We hope you enjoyed this recap and the first edition of Parade Bay FM. Check out my recap video on my main channel as well. Benji's got some cracking PCM videos up as well at the moment, and we'll see you with the recap of the men's race tomorrow.